This morning, we began what is more than likely going to be a little four-part new sermon mini-series entitled, Putting Some Pop in Your Prayer Life. Putting Some Pop in Your Prayer Life. And P-O-P is an acronym, and there are many words that are going to go in there for the first P and then, of course, of prayer as we go through them. There will be some overlap in some of the lessons because there are times like when this morning I would briefly touch on something I want to expand a little bit on tonight, so there will be sort of an overlap. But I figure rather than presenting these four parts in one you know, six-hour sermon, I'd kind of break it down. For example, this morning I briefly mentioned James 5.16, which says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In that passage, one of the things that we would note is that an effective prayer is a fervent prayer. And of course, vice versa, that a fervent prayer is an effective prayer. As we talked about at length this morning, such prayer must be entered into seriously and sincerely. It must be entered into, such prayer must be entered into constantly and consistently, and we saw this in the prayer life of Jesus. It must be entered into with all that you have within you. It's not just a casual little conversation or chit-chat with God. Such prayer must be entered into fully aware of who you are dealing with, the love that he has for you, and the power that he possesses to help you. James also tells us in this passage, that is in James 5 and verse 16, that in order for our prayers to be truly effective, they must also come from a righteous man. They must be accompanied by a reverent and righteous lifestyle, a lifestyle which we know from other verses only comes from a humble, holy, and obedient heart, as we talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, verses 10 through 12. Such prayers must come from a heart full of faith that is not one that will doubt, not one that is double-minded, as James took on earlier in James chapter 1, verses 2 and following. Must come from one which, recognizing the limitless love and power of the God we pray and belong to, will have the humility of Jesus to truly say, not my will, but yours be done. And to say that, no matter the crowd, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences or the conflict. One of the other reasons that our prayer life at times may seem to be somewhat more powerless or, or ineffective or less satisfying or peace providing than we would like for it to be well, there are several reasons. Maybe it's because sometimes, being human, when we don't get the answer we want within the time frame that we want, we simply fail to want to continue to pray anymore, as much as we should at the very least. 
And you see, when we do that, when we don't get what we want, when we want, so we fail to want to pray anymore, what that does when we do that is it shows that we have forgotten that he loves us far above and beyond our ability to even begin to comprehend. And so, knowing that God knows so much more than we do, loves us so much more than we can comprehend, wants so much more the good for us than we can even begin to imagine, we have to understand it's not about our will, but about his. The will of him who knows the outcome of all of our trials and only wants the best for his children. And believe me, brethren, as well as you all know, Father knows best in this case for sure. 1 John 5 and verse 14 is a verse that says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do we have that confidence always? We should. We must. This is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Confidence, according to Strong's outline of biblical usage in that passage, that word confidence means free and fearless confidence. It means cheerful courage, cheerful boldness, cheerful assurance. It means cheerful all of those things because we trust God. A few other reasons why our prayer life may seem to fall short of all we think or know that it should be when it comes to giving us peace, when it comes to giving us that satisfying fruit that God intends it for, might include any one of several other reasons as well. Maybe it's because proper and God-fearing prayer is a little bit more involved than we often give it credit for or approach it with, and we talked about our approach this morning. Maybe it's because Prayer is a little more important than we sometimes prioritize it as. Now, we'll all admit prayer is important. But on our priority list, as we talked about with Jesus this morning, when he prayed and how often he prayed and how in-depth he prayed and how, how passionately he prayed, those are the true marks of our priority that we give it. Maybe the reason our prayer life sometimes doesn't give us the peace, doesn't yield the fruit and the comfort in our life that we know that it ought to and that God intended it to, because prayer is a little more involved in its implementation than we often seem to recognize or understand. Listen, all-powerful, peace-giving, life-altering, spirit-affecting prayer involves more than just a little chit-chat with Jesus before we have a meal or before we go to bed at night. Wonder what the average length is of a pre-meal prayer. Chances are, in a lot of cases, it could be measured in seconds rather than minutes. You know, there's an old phrase, you get out of it what you put into it, right? We've heard it probably in reference to worship service. You know, you, you have the person that shows up two minutes after the announcement starts and leaves before the final amen Go home and they'll say, I didn't get anything out of services. What'd you put into it? Well, same's true with prayer. We need to pour our hearts out and put everything into it if we're going to get anything out of it. We need to show God we're serious. And so this morning, again, 
We began with pot number one, the priority of prayer. We saw how Jesus prayed before important decisions in his life. We saw how Jesus prayed even when others desperately needed his help. And he kept them waiting until he had finished praying before he addressed their needs. We saw how Jesus, when we talk about pot number one, the priority of prayer, prayed early in the morning, late in the evening, all night long, enduring some of the greatest trials of his life. Did Jesus pray while he was in the process of the crucifixion? Sure did. Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus prayed even during the worst trial of his life. And you know, Hebrews 4.15 confirms that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says that. We know that. And, and I want you to consider this. I know that he was God in the flesh. I know that he was the son of the living God. Still is. I know that, but I also know he was the son of man. He was human as well. And yet, the Bible says he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Knowing that he was God in the flesh, yes, he didn't sin. But was he truly tempted? Was Jesus truly tempted as a man? Absolutely, because if he wasn't, he can't be our great high priest. And Hebrews 4 said he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. But I don't believe that it's just because he was God that he didn't sin. I'm not being irreverent here, hear me out. I believe part of the reason that Jesus did not sin, yes, because he was God, yes, I understand that, but I believe part of the reason he did not sin, or it would seem to me part of the reason that he did not sin, was likely the direct result of the priority, the intensity, and the immensity of the time he spent in prayer with his father, looking for strength. The, the time he spent accessing and taking advantage of the power of heaven in fervent prayer, in righteous prayer, in, in passionate, long, intense, effective, powerful prayer to his Father. Will prayer help you to avoid sin? Will prayer help you with temptation? Of course it will. Well, if it will help you, then it had to have in some way helped him because he was made like his brethren, Hebrews chapter 2. He needed to pray for that strength too. And boy, pray he did. And again, I am convinced that is one of the reasons he did not sin because of his time and intensity in prayer. And if Jesus Christ needed that kind of prayer in his life, as much as he did as we talked about this morning, in order to, to face the trials and temptations of his existence on earth, wow. How much more so do we? And yet, sadly, sometimes, if we were to come to the end of the day and count up the minutes we spend in prayer, might be measured in seconds or single-digit minutes, and we wonder why life is so overwhelming. You know, Jesus told his disciples that night in the garden to follow his example. He told them, in Matthew 26 and verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That phrase right there ought to tell you all you need to know. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Prayer will help you with temptation. He continued by saying the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew the flesh was weak. Our flesh is weak, that's why we need to pray. 
We need to do that same thing. We need to pray lest we enter into temptation. Are you ever tempted? Don't, don't raise your hands, don't shake your heads. Sit, sit there and don't move. Just think about this. Because I don't want to know. Are you ever tempted to lash out at somebody? Are you ever tempted to give up? Are you ever tempted to fire back at somebody? Are you ever tempted to walk away? Are you ever tempted to, to be angry with somebody? Guess what? We need to pray lest we enter into temptation. We need to pray in order that we do not take action on those temptations because the, spirit is, the Spirit's willing. We know the right thing to do in our spirit, but the flesh is so weak. This morning we continued with P.O.P. 2, the passion of prayer. We talked about Jesus' passion as he prayed. We talked about his passion as, as the angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground in Luke 22, 43, and 4. We talked about the passion of prayer, wherein we lift up our souls. That's what it's all about. Lifting up our souls to the Lord, as we talked about this morning again, from Psalm 25, 1, Psalm 86, 4, and Psalm 143, 8. And brethren, it will put some pop in our prayer life. It will put some passion in our prayer, number two, if we truly understand pop number three, the purpose of prayer. That's our new one for tonight, the purpose of prayer. What is the purpose of prayer? We've already talked about the fact that Jesus could have done anything and yet he still spent a lot of time in prayer to his father. What is the purpose of prayer? There's a lot of different purposes, but one of the primary purposes of prayer is to pour out, to pour out our very hearts, souls, and troubled minds before and to the Lord. Don't miss this one. The purpose of prayer is to pour out our very hearts, souls, and troubled minds before and to the Lord. It's not, prayer is not just to inform God of things we think he might have missed. And, and I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, but I, I want to say it again. I want you to really think about it. The purpose of prayer is not to tell God things that we think he's missed, forgotten, or doesn't know about, like Ananias did in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, turn over there for just a moment, would you please? In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, I want you to look at this. Acts 9 and verse 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord says, look, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus. And look at his response in verse 13. And it's always kind of just tickled me a little bit. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Do you think God didn't know that when he said, Ananias, I want you to go see him? And I, and I kind of giggle inside, but sometimes, don't we in our prayers try to tell God stuff that we think that, that he might not be aware of or might not know? And we know better. We don't do it on purpose. I, Ananias 
From everything I've read about Ananias, he was a good guy. He wasn't trying to, to supersede God or anything like that. But, but he knew what he knew. And it's almost when I read that like he was telling God, ah, uh, wait a minute, don't you know what he's done? And what does God say? Verse 15, he says, go. If I may paraphrase, he said, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. So the purpose of prayer is not to inform God of things that we might think maybe he doesn't know. God knows everything. The purpose of prayer is also not to repeatedly request the things we think we need. God already knows what we need before we ask him, right? That's what scripture says, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 and 32. Those are not the purpose of prayer. Brethren, the purpose of prayer is to pour out our very hearts and souls to the Lord God Almighty. To pour it all out. It is similar to the reason we confess our sins to him. Does God already know your sins? Does God already know your sins? Yeah, of course he does. But yeah, what does he say? Confess your sins. Why do we confess our sins to a God who already knows what they are? Because as we confess our sins to God, it's not to tell him something he doesn't know. It is to remind us of who we are in relationship to him and to keep us ever humble before him. That's why we confess our sins. And I submit to you that the purpose of prayer is very similar. It's not because God doesn't know how troubled we are. It's not because God doesn't know the fires we're going through. It's nothing like that. Of course he does. But when we pour out our very hearts and souls and minds to him, and we cry out to him in our struggles, that keeps us ever humble and mindful of just how dependent upon him we are. It keeps us remembering that we, how much we trust him, and that's what we should do. I want to show you some souls, some souls who were just poured out in prayer and hence reflect pop number three, the purpose of prayer. Turn to me to Psalm 42. Talk about pouring out your soul. Psalm 42. The purpose of prayer. And yes, there are other purposes, but this is a heavy-duty one. This is, this is big league purpose of prayer. Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1, it is to pour out your heart to God in prayer. Pour out your soul. Psalm 42, 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God. My tears have been my food day and night. He's not talking about I had a bad moment and a tear trickled down my cheek. That's not what he said. He is talking about day and night weeping because of where he is. He is talking about day and night crying. He said, they've been my food day and night while they continuously say to me, where is your God? Not only is he struggling, not only does he have these tears, but people say, hey, where's your God? Hey, look at the mess you're in. Where's your God now? Sort of like they did to Jesus on the cross. He said he's the son of God, let him save him. That's the idea. When I remember these things, I, here it comes. Don't miss this. When I remember these things, verse four, I pour out my soul within me. I used to go with the multitude. 
I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. He said, I used to be happy. I used to, I used to have all this joy. But now he's cast down in his soul. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And it's this beautiful picture as we begin the psalm of, of a deer in the dry places, thirsty, parched throat, just, just looking for one of those crystal clear, beautiful streams. He goes on in verses 8 through 11 of this psalm to say, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. Do you see the reverse? He says, my tears were my food when? Day and night. Then he says, I poured out my soul to God. I pour out my soul. Why? Because he knows in that daytime and that nighttime where his tears have been that God is going to bless him. There's that confident expectation. The Lord will command, verse 8, his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You see, he pours out his troubled soul, but he knows that he can pour it out to God and that God can handle it, and that God can refresh him, that God can restore him. And so he pours it all out. Other verses to be in mind of when we talk about the purpose of prayer being to pour out our soul. In Job chapter 3, verses 24 and 5, he says, For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Do you hear that? The thing I feared most in life, that which I dreaded the most, that which I, which I worried about, it's happened. And he says, so I pour out my groanings. Psalm 22 and verse 14 is a prophetic psalm of the Messiah foretelling what he's going to go through at the cross. And in that psalm, in verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water. And Jesus was poured out, both physically and spiritually. As he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, Hebrews 5, 7, as we discussed this morning. There's one other beautiful example of the purpose of prayer being to truly pour out our heart and soul and just leave it all in the hands of God that I want to share with you. Soul-searching prayer and supplication to God that just pours it all out, empties oneself. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, check this out. Verses 10 through 15. We'll actually come back to this text later on and read a little further, but for right now, 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 15. Of course, Hannah could not have a child, and she's in anguish and distress. Listen to some of these, some of these words. It says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 1, she was in bitterness of soul. She wasn't just in bitterness, she was in bitterness of soul, soul deep. And she prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. Here is one pouring out their soul. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. 
Notice her anguish and bitterness. And it says in verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. You ever had a sorrowful spirit? You ever been hurt right to your soul? I, I, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither, neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hannah admitted it. That's what her prayer was in her anguish, in her broken heart, in her grief. She poured out her very soul. That is the purpose of prayer, brethren. To pour out our souls, to empty ourselves. And I appreciated David, I'm not sure, not sure he knew where I was going with this, but, but in his prayer he touched on this and it fits so perfectly. The purpose of prayer is to pour out our souls and empty ourselves of all. All, in my notes, I've got it capitalized, emboldened, and underlined, A-L-L, to pour out all, to empty ourselves of all of our hurts, all of our pain, all of our problems, all of our struggles, all of our gratitude, all of our desires, to empty ourselves of everything at the throne of Almighty God Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Is God capable, powerful enough, and big enough to carry all of your grief? Is he or not? Then give it to him because you're not any more than I am. Give it to him. That's what God wants. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. God says, give it all to me. See, that's the purpose of prayer. It's, it's not just some chit-chat. It's not just some, some halfway thing. God says, I want it all. Bring it all. Give it all to me. You can't live that joyous life I've got for you to live if you're carrying around all this weight because you ain't built to take it, but I am. Give it to me. That is the purpose of prayer. Casting all your care on him for he cares for you. Yes, 1 Peter 5, 7. Folks, listen to this. Did Jesus carry all your sins to the cross? Did he? Every one of them, right? Jesus was strong enough and powerful enough. He's the son of God. He carried all your sins to the cross and wants to carry all your cares to give you peace so he can carry all your soul to heaven. That's what he wants. God wants you to trust him with it all. Sometimes as Christians, we carry burdens, we carry grief, we carry pain, we carry hurt, we carry guilt. Listen, Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? We know that verse. And yet, how many Christians continue to carry guilt? Guilt that God's washed away. Guilt that God's put beneath the blood. Guilt that has been covered by the blood of Christ. Sin that is gone, removed as far as the east is from the west. And yet, Christians continue to be burdened and carried around. God said, no, I've, I've taken care of that. And sometimes we, we do that with prayer. We, we give God the little stuff. We give God the, you know, I want this or I want that or can you do this or can you do But the big stuff. 
God wants it all. He wants every hurt in your heart. He wants every grief you're carrying. He wants every burden you've got. He wants it all. Now, according to Hebrews 4 and verse 13, he already knows it all. There, there's nothing hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God already knows, okay? But that's not the point. He wants you to show your trust in him by letting go of all of those things that hurt so bad and giving them to him. He wants you to know and enjoy and experience the fact that you really can give it all to him. This is a plastic cup and it's filled with dirt that I picked up on the way over here tonight along the concrete walkway between the parsonage and the church building. And it is, it's that crummy little dirt where those little creatures dig and bore in the grass. It is a cup full of dirt, literally, okay? Now, down at Green Valley Bible Camp, softball field was pretty warm. I don't know why we didn't have days like this, but you know, heat index I looked at one day and it was 105 and I thought, why did I do that to myself? So I just didn't bother to check anymore. I mean, it's just really hot. So we're down to Green Valley and we're out there and we're told to hydrate. Listen, this wouldn't have refreshed me very much if I drank a cup of dirt, would it? It's not refreshing. When you're in the heat and you're hurting and you're like a deer, you're panting for water. A cup of dirt's not gonna do you any good. But listen, I want you to use that analogy to think of this. Bible tells us that times of refreshing come from the Lord. If I want, consider for a minute that heaven is this big spring of, of refreshing cool water that you need on a hot day. Just work with me here, okay? In order for me to have my cup full, in order for me to fill my cup with that refreshing water, that refreshment from heaven, what have I got to do with this cup of dirt? I got to dump the dirt out, right? Now, if I dump half the dirt out and put in water, would you drink it? Probably not. The only way that God can truly fill my cup with that which will refresh me is if I first get rid of everything in the cup. Is that right? Right? Brethren, sometimes we don't give all the bad stuff we're carrying to God. That's why he can't fill our cup. The reason that we don't, are not filled with the peace that passes understanding is because we're still carrying all this stuff we haven't given to God. And I won't dump this on the carpet because of the cleaning ladies, but imagine me doing so. The only way that I, that I can have God fill my cup with that which will refresh me and that which is good and that which gives me joy and that which replenishes me, the only way I can have God do that is if I first get rid of everything in the cup. And brethren, when we go to God in prayer, unless we give it all to him, unless we pour out our heart and soul, we are preventing him from filling us back up with the peace that passes understanding. That's why we don't have it sometimes. We didn't pour out all the other stuff that's paining us so that he could fill us back up with that peace. That brings us to pot number four, the peace, P-E-A-C-E -E, of prayer. We've already touched on some of these verses, so I'll go through them very quickly. The peace of prayer. 
As we discussed this morning in the Garden of Gethsemane, after Jesus had prayed three times, said, not my will, but thine be done, in Matthew 26 and verse 46, he said, see, behold, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus at that point seems to be totally at peace with what's about to happen, that horrible, brutal thing. He, he seems to be totally at peace. Why? Because he's prayed about it. Listen, if God truly wants you out of a certain situation, does he have the power to make sure you get out of it? Whatever it is, does he? Of course he does. And so Jesus knew that his father had the power to take that cup from him. But when his father didn't, he went forth with peace with what was about to happen, almost viewing it, it seems like, with, with anticipation. And, and listen, here's something that we gotta remember. After he comes out of the garden, after he's prayed three times, after he's accepted his father's will, and he says, look, see, my betrayer's at hand. Do you ever see Jesus after that point looking back regretfully? Nope. Do you ever see him second-guessing himself? Nope. Do you ever see him feeling that maybe he should have done something different? Nope. You don't. Jesus never looked back. Jesus did not live with regret. And he did not second-guess or question himself. After he'd prayed those three times and come out of the garden. Instead, he went to the cross with peace in his heart. How do you know that, Douglas? How do you know he had peace in his heart? I know that because, number one, at any moment he could have called and requested the angels and they would have rescued him, right? That's one reason I know. Another reason I know he had peace in his heart is because of the way he treated his enemies. How did he treat his enemies? Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they Jesus had peace in his heart, even in those circumstances. He had the peace that had come about as a result of his prayer. You see, Jesus only wanted to do the will of God. And when God made it very clear that Jesus was to go forward with this cup, Jesus knew it was the privilege that he had of doing the will of God, and he was at peace with it because he lived to do the will of God, John 5.30 and 6.38. Did you know that we too are promised the peace of prayer? Look back at this text we looked at this morning, Philippians 4, 4 through 6, and again, a little overlap because there's so much here that we need so desperately. We can have the peace of prayer as, as trusting children of the living God. In Philippians 4, 4 through 6, notice verse 6. God wants us to trust him with everything, anything and everything. God not only wants us to pray and trust him with anything and everything, Philippians 4, 6, but we are to pray with thanksgiving. Listen, if we don't appreciate what God's done for us in the past, we're not going to appreciate what he's about to do for us when we ask. And notice verse 6 also says, present your requests, not place your orders. What is the natural outcome when one trusts him with anything and everything, no matter what? What's the outcome? Verse 7, the peace of God that passes all understanding. You can only have pop number four, the peace of prayer, when you are totally focused on and understand pop number five, which is the power of prayer, P-O-P, -P, the power of prayer. We're very familiar with Elijah in James chapter five, verses 16 through 18. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person, brethren, it's got a lot of power. 
The story in Exodus chapter 32, and you can turn there if you want, but I'm not going to read it because of time's sake. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14, Moses comes down off the mountain. The people have got the golden calf going on. We know the story very, very well. And in verse 11, Moses, it says, pleaded. And in verse 14, it says, and the Lord relented. Moses pleaded in prayer for those people. He poured out his heart for those people, and God relented of what he said he was going to do. It appears there that the prayer of Moses might have even changed the mind of God. And keep in mind from a sermon a few weeks ago, Moses was a friend of God, Exodus 33, 11. And we're so much more. We're sons and daughters of God. If you will listen to your friend, listen, a lot of us have friends. You listen to your friend, but I'm telling you what, if your own son or daughter comes to you, you listen to them more, won't you? The power of prayer. The power of Hannah's righteous prayer in 1 Samuel 1. Remember, and go back there with me, would you, in 1 Samuel 1. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah was miserable, verse 6, provoked severely, verse 6, year after year, weeping, unable to eat, and heartbroken, verses 7 and 8, pouring out her soul to the Lord as a result in verse 15. And look at the other four verses. Look at the power of her prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 1, the next four verses, 16 through 20. Look what it says. She says, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked him. And he did, didn't he? God granted her a child. Guess what? God doesn't do things halfway. She had several more children. God's just that good. That's the power of prayer. There is power in the prayers of the righteous. Proper prayer is pure dynamite. Biblical faithful prayer is a dynamite that can move mountains. Look with me in Mark 11. By the way, one of the Greek words that's translated power in the New Testament is dunami, from which we get dynamite. Power and dynamite are very closely related. In Mark chapter 11, check this out. Verses 22 through 25. Mark 11, 22 through 25. Look what Jesus told his disciples. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Then he goes on to say this, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. And, and he goes on from there. When we focus on the pure, unlimited power of prayer, it'll really put some pop in our prayer life. Brings us to our sixth and final pop for the day, and that's the piety of prayer. You know what piety is? Piety. Piety is an all-consuming and righteous fear of or reverence for God. An all-consuming and righteous fear of or reverence for God. So who would have piety? Well, somebody that recognizes who God really is and what he's really capable of and, and, and the, the position he occupies in the universe. If you truly understand that, then obviously you're going to reverence him. 
Piety is a reverence for God because you recognize who he is, the love he has, and the reverence he therefore deserves. We see such piety in places like 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. You see this kind of piety as we read verses 6 and 7, where it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Seems to keep popping up as a verse, doesn't it? It's that kind of humility. Piety, reverence, submission, understanding who God is, this God do we pray to. That's why Jesus' prayers were heard, you know. In Hebrews 5, 7, tells us that Jesus' prayers were heard because of his piety. One version says, one version says because of his godly fear, another version says because of his reverence, and another because of his reverent submission. It's all the same thing. Piety of prayer, maybe sometimes you can describe something better by an opposite. Piety of prayer is just the opposite of arrogance of prayer. Remember the, the tax collector and the publican that went up to the temple to pray in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14? Remember one, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm just a great guy and God, I, you, you should be so happy to have me on your team. Terrible paraphrase, but read the story. And the other one wouldn't even look up to heaven, but said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's piety. The other one was arrogance. We need to have piety in prayer. Piety in prayer, piety of prayer is what happens when we focus our praying on exactly who God is and what he wants instead of who we think we are and what we think we need. So far today in our little sermon mini-series on prayer, we have discovered and discussed six pops or six ways to put some pop back into our prayer lives. The priority of prayer, the passion of prayer, the purpose of prayer, the peace of prayer, the power of prayer, and the piety of prayer. Speaking of piety, or humility, or submission, how pious are we? Do we understand that none of us has the right to go to heaven, Romans 3.23? Do we realize that all of our own righteousness, no matter how good we may think we are, is like filthy rags before God, Isaiah 64 and verse 6? Are we do we have this piety, this reverence, this fear of God that says, I, I want to be right with God. I know I'm not right and I need to be right with God. I know I'm a sinner and I know I need help and I know I can't get to heaven by myself. If that's you tonight and you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then reverence God, submit to God, have piety, obey him because of who he is and who you are by comparison. He is everything, we are nothing. He is righteous, we are not. You need him to get to heaven. Submit yourself to him. Be reverent. Maybe you're somebody who's done that, but you feel like, you know, I know God hears my prayers, but wow, I really need to be strengthened so I'll better understand more about prayer, or I've got this problem I'm dealing with and I need the effective, fervent prayers of the righteous, blood-washed, Wrong that belongs to God. If you have a need tonight, please don't, don't leave here. Don't leave here separated from God. Don't leave here with your sins between you and Him, or don't leave here with this with this this gulf between the two of you. 
because you're struggling with something and, and you haven't given it all to God, if you haven't surrendered everything to God, you, you can't, you can't, what do I do with my cup? Doesn't matter. Yes, it is over here. You cannot be filled up to the overflowing with your cup full of everything God wants you to have, the peace that passes all understanding, until you leave it all, leave everything else at his feet and on his throne for him to deal with. You gotta get rid of this. Pour yourself out in prayer. Empty it all. If you have a need, will you please come to the front right now as we stand and sing?